The Pickwick Papers, Chapter Thirty Seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, go to www.librivox.org. This recording by Patty Brugman. Honorably accounts for Mr. Weller's absence by describing a soiree to which he was invited and went. Also relates how he was entrusted by Mr. Pickwick with a private mission of delicacy and importance. Mr. Weller, said Mrs. Craddock, upon the morning of this very eventful day, here's a letter for you. Where be all that? said Sam. I'm afeard there must be something the matter, for I don't recollect any gentleman in my circle of acquaintance as is capable of writing one. Perhaps something uncommon has taken place, observed Mrs. Craddock. Must be something very uncommon indeed as could produce a letter out of a friend of mine, replied Sam, shaking his head dubiously. Nothing less than a natural convulsion, as the young gentleman observed, than he was took with fits. It can't be from the governor, said Sam, looking at that direction. He always prints, I know, cause he learnt writing from the large bills in the booking offices. It's a very strange thing now where this here letter cannot come from. As Sam said this, he did what a great many people do when they are uncertain about the writer of a note. Looked at the seal, and then at the front, and then at the back, and then at the sides, and then at the superscription, and as a last resource, thought perhaps as he might as well, look inside and try to find out from that. It's wrote all on gilt edge, said Sam, as he unfolded it, and sealed in bronze vex with the top of the door key. Now for it and with a very grave face Mr. Weller slowly read as follows. A select company of the Bath footmen presents their compliments to Mr. Weller, and requests the pleasure of his company this evening to a friendly soiree, consisting of a boiled leg of mutton with the usual trimmings, the soiree to be on table at half-past nine punctually. This was enclosed in another note, which ran thus, Mr. John Smacker, the gentleman who had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Weller at the house of their mutual acquaintance, Mr. Bantam, a few days since, begs to enclose Mr. Weller the herewith invitation. If Mr. Weller will call on Mr. John Smacker at nine o'clock, Mr. John Smacker will have the pleasure of introducing Mr. Weller. Signed, John Smocker. The envelope was directed to blank Weller ESQ at Mr. Pickwick's and in a parenthesis on the left-hand corner were the words, Arry Bell, as an instruction to the bearer. Vell, said Sam, this is coming it rather powerful, is it? I never heard of a boiled leg of mutton called a soiree before. I wonder what they call a roast one. However, without waiting to debate the point, Sam at once betook himself into the presence of Mr. Pickwick and requested leave of absence for that evening, which was readily granted. With this permission, and with the street-door key, Sam Weller issued forth a little before the appointed time, and strolled leisurely toward Queen Square, which he no sooner gained than he had the satisfaction of beholding Mr. John Smocker, leaning his powdered head against a lamp-post at a short distance off, smoking a cigar through an amber tube. "'How do you do, Mr. Weller?' said Mr. John Smocker, raising his hat gracefully with one hand, while well, he gently waved the other in a condescending manner. "'How do you do, sir?' "'Why, reasonably convalescent,' replied Sam. 
How do you find yourself, my dear fellow? Only so-so, said Mr. John Smucker. Ah, you've been a-working too hard, observed Sam. I was fearful you would. It wouldn't do, you know. You must not give way to that air uncompromising spirit of yourn. It's not so much that, Mr. Weller, replied Mr. John Smucker, as bad wine. I'm afraid I've been dissipating. Oh, that's it, is it, said Sam. That's a very bad complaint, then. And yet the temptation, you see, Mr. Weller, observed Mr. John Smucker. Ah, to be sure, said Sam. Plunged into the very vortex of society, you know, Mr. Weller, said Mr. John Smucker with a sigh. Dreadful indeed, rejoined Sam. But it's always the way, said Mr. John Smucker. If your destiny leads you into public life and public station, you must expect to be subjected to temptations which other people is free from, Mr. Weller. Precisely what my uncle said, then he went into the public line, remarked Sam, and very right the old gentleman was, for he drank himself to death in something less than a quarter. Mr. John Smucker looked deeply indignant at the parallel being drawn between himself and the deceased gentleman in question. But as Sam's face was in the most immovable state of calmness, he thought better of it and looked affable again. "'Perhaps we had better be walking,' said Mr. Smocker, consulting a copper timepiece which dwelt at the bottom of a deep watch-pocket, and was raised to the surface by means of a black string, with a copper key at the other end. "'Perhaps we had,' replied Sam, "'or they'll do the soiree, and that'll spoil it.' "'Have you drank the waters, Mr. Weller?' inquired his companion, as they walked toward High Street. "'Once,' replied Sam. "'What did you think of em, sir?' "'I thought they was particular and pleasant,' replied Sam. "'Ah,' said Mr. John Smacker, "'you disliked the kiltebeet taste, perhaps.' "'I don't know much about that air,' said Sam. "'I thought they'd a very strong flavour of the warm flat-irons.' "'That is the kiltebeet, Mr. Willer,' observed Mr. John Smacker, contemptuously. "'Well, if it is, it's a very inexpensive word, that's all,' said Sam." It may be, but I ain't much in the chemical line myself, so I can't say. And here, to the great horror of Mr. John Smacker, Mr. Weller began to whistle. I beg your pardon, Mr. Weller, said Mr. John Smacker, agonized at the exceedingly ungenteel sound. Will you take my arm? Thank you, you're very good, but I don't deprive you of it, replied Sam. I've rather a way of putting my hands in my pockets, if it's all the same to you. As Sam said, this he suited the action to the word, and whistled far louder than before. "'This way,' said his new friend, apparently much relieved, as they turned down a by-street. "'We shall soon be there.' "'Shall we?' said Sam, quite unmoved by the announcement of his close vicinity to the select footman of Bath. "'Yes,' said John Smucker. "'Don't be alarmed, Mr. Weller.' "'Oh, no,' said Sam.' "'You'll see some very handsome uniforms, Mr. Weller,' continued Mr. John Smucker. "'And perhaps you'll find some of the gentlemen rather high at first. "'You know, but they'll soon come round.' "'That's very kind on em, replied Sam. "'And you know,' resumed Mr. John Smucker, with an air of sublime protection, "'you know, as you're a stranger, perhaps, they'll be rather hard upon you at first. "'They won't be very cruel, though, will they?' inquired Sam." "'No, no,' replied Mr. John Smucker, pulling forth the fox's head and taking a gentlemanly pinch. "'There are some funny dogs among us. 
and they will have their joke, you know. But you mustn't mind em, you mustn't mind em. I'll try to bear up again such a regular knock-down of talent, replied Sam. That's right, said Mr. John Smucker, putting up the fox's head and elevating his hone. I'll stand by you. By this time they had reached a small green grocer's shop, which Mr. John Smucker entered, followed by Sam, who, the moment he got behind him, relapsed into a series of the very broadest and most unmitigated grins, and manifested other demonstrations of being in a highly enviable state of inward merriment. Crossing the green grocer's shop and putting their hats on the stairs in a little passage behind it, they walked into a small parlour, and here the full splendour of the scene burst upon Mr. Weller's view. A couple of tables were put together in the middle of the parlour, covered with three or four cloths of different ages and dates of washing, arranged to look as much like one as the circumstances of the case would allow. Upon these were laid knives and forks for six or eight people. Some of the knife handles were green, others red, and a few yellow. And as all the forks were black, the combination of colours was exceedingly striking. Plates for the corresponding number of guests were warming behind the fender, and the guests themselves were warming before it, the chief and most important of whom appeared to be the stoutish man, in a bright crimson coat with long tails, vividly red breeches, and a cocked hat, who was standing with his back to the fire and had apparently just entered, for beside the retaining his cocked hat on his head, he carried in his hand a high stick, such as a gentleman of his profession usually elevate in a sloping position over the roofs of carriages. "'Smucker, my lad, your fin,' said the gentleman with the cocked hat. Mr. Smucker dovetailed the top joint of his right-hand little finger into that of the gentleman with the cocked hat, and said he was charmed to see him looking so well. "'Why, then, they tell me I am looking pretty blooming,' said the man with the cocked hat. "'And it's a wonder, too. I have been following our old woman about two hours a day for the last fortnight, and if a constant contemplation of the manner in which she hooks and eyes that infernal lavender-coloured old gown of hers behind isn't enough to throw anybody into a low state of despondency for life, stop my quarter's salary.' At this the assembled selections laughed very heartily and one gentleman, in a yellow waistcoat, with a coach-trimming border, whispered to a neighbour in green-foil smalls that Tuckle was in spirits to-night. "'By the by,' said Mr. Tuckle, "'Smucker, my boy, you?' The remainder of the sentence was forwarded into Mr. Smucker's ear by whisper. "'Oh, my dear, I quite forgot,' said Mr. John Smucker. "'Gentlemen, my good friend Mr. Weller.' "'Sorry to keep the fire off you, Weller,' said Mr. Tuckle, with a familiar nod. "'Hope you're not cold, Weller.' "'Not by no means blazes,' replied Sam. "'It'd be a very chilly subject as felt cold when you stood opposite. "'You'd save coals if they put you behind the fender of the waiting room in a public office, you would.' At this retort appeared to convey rather a personal allusion to Mr. Tuckle's crimson livery. That gentleman looked majestic for a few seconds, but gradually edging away from the fire— broke into a forced smile, and said it wasn't bad. "'Very much obliged for your good opinion, sir,' replied Sam. "'We shan't get on by degrees, I dare say. "'We'd better try one by and by.' At this point the conversation was interrupted by the arrival of a gentleman in orange-coloured plush, accompanied by another selection in purple cloth with a great extent of stocking. 
the newcomers having been welcomed by the old ones, Mr. Tuckle put the question that supper be ordered in, which was carried unanimously. The greengrocer and his wife then arranged upon the table a boiled leg of mutton, hot with caper sauce, turnips, and potatoes. Mr. Tuckle took the chair and was supported at the other end of the board by a gentleman in orange plush. The greengrocer put on a pair of wash-leather gloves to hand the plates with and stationed himself behind Mr. Tuckle's chair. "'Harris,' said Mr. Tuckle in a commanding tone. "'Sir,' said the greengrocer, "'have you got your gloves on?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Then take the kiver off.' "'Yes, sir.' The greengrocer did as he was told, with a show of great humility, and obsequiously handed Mr. Tuckle the carving-knife, in doing which he accidentally gaped. "'What do you mean by that, sir?' said Mr. Tuckle, with great asperity. "'I beg your pardon, sir,' replied the crestfallen greengrocer. "'I didn't mean to do it, sir. I was up very late last night, sir.' "'I tell you what my opinion of you is, Harris,' said Mr. Tuckle, with a most impressive air. "'You're a vulgar beast.' "'I hope, gentlemen,' said Harris, "'that you won't be severe with me, gentlemen. "'I'm very much obliged to you indeed, gentlemen, "'for your patronage, and also for your recommendations, gentlemen. "'Whenever additional assistance in waiting is required, "'I hope, gentlemen, I give satisfaction.' "'No, you don't, sir,' said Mr. Tuckle. "'Very far from it, sir.' "'We consider you an attentive rascal,' said the gentleman in the orange plush. "'And a low thief,' added the gentleman in the green foil smalls. "'And an unreclaimable blackguard,' said the gentleman in purple. The poor greengrocer bowed very humbly while these little epithets were bestowed upon him, in a true spirit of the very smallest tyranny, and when everybody had said something to show his superiority, Mr. Tuckle proceeded to carve the leg of mutton, and to help the company. This important business of the evening had hardly commenced when the door was thrown briskly open, and another gentleman, in a light blue suit and leaden buttons, made his appearance. "'Against the rules,' said Mr. Tuckle. "'Too late, too late!' "'No, no, positively I couldn't help it,' said the gentleman in blue. "'I appeal to the company, an affair of gallantry now, an appointment at the theatre. "'Oh, that indeed,' said the gentleman in the orange plush. "'Yes, Riley now, honour bright,' said the man in blue. "'I made a promise to fetch our youngest daughter at half-past ten, "'and she is such an uncommonly fine gal that I rarely had the art to disappoint her.' "'No offence to the present company, sir. "'But a petticoat, sir, a petticoat is irrevocable. "'I began to suspect there's something in that quarter,' said Tuckle, "'as the newcomer took his seat next to Sam. "'I remarked once or twice that she leans very heavy on your shoulder "'when she gets in and out of the carriage.' "'Oh, rally, rally, Tuckle, you shouldn't,' said the man in blue. "'It's not fair.' I may have said to one or two friends that she was a very divine creature, and had refused one or two offers without any obvious cause, but no, 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 indeed, Tuckle, before strangers, too, it's not right. You shouldn't. Delicacy, my dear friend, delicacy. And the man in blue, pulling up his neckerchief and adjusting his coat cuffs, nodded and frowned as if there were more behind which he should say if he liked but was bound in honour to suppress. 
the man in blue being a light-haired, stiff-necked, free and easy sort of footman, with a swaggering air and a pert face, had attracted Mr. Weller's especial attention at first, but when he began to come out of his way, Sam felt more than ever disposed to cultivate his acquaintance. So he launched himself into the conversation at once with characteristic independence. "'Your health, sir,' said Sam. "'I like your conversation much. I think it's very pretty.' At this the man in blue smiled, as if it were a compliment he was well used to, but looked approvingly on Sam at the same time, and said he hoped he should be better acquainted with him, for without any flattery at all he seemed to have the making of a very nice fellow about him, and to be just the man after his own heart. "'You're very good, sir,' said Sam. "'What a lucky fellow you are!' "'How do you mean?' inquired the gentleman in blue. "'That her young lady,' replied Sam. "'She knows what's what, she does. "'Ah, I see.' Mr. Weller closed one eye and shook his head from side to side, in a manner which was highly gratifying to the personal vanity of the gentleman in blue. "'I'm afraid you're a cunning fellow, Mr. Weller,' said that individual. "'No, no,' said Sam. "'I leave all that there to you. "'It's a great deal more in your way than mine, "'as the gentleman on the right side of the garden veil has said "'to the man on the wrong side, "'when the mad bull was a-coming up the lane. "'Well, well, Mr. Weller,' said the gentleman in blue. "'I think she has remarked my air and manner, Mr. Weller. "'I think she couldn't worry well. "'Be off of that,' said Sam.' "'Have you any little thing of that kind in hand, sir?' inquired the favoured gentleman in blue, drawing a toothpick from his waistcoat. "'Not exactly,' said Sam. "'There's no daughters at my place, else of course I should have made up fun on em. "'As it is, I don't think I can do with anything under a female marquise. "'I may take up with a young woman of large property as hasn't a title, "'if she made very fierce love to me, naught else.' "'Of course not, Mr. Weller,' said the gentleman in blue. "'One can't be troubled, you know. "'And we know, Mr. Weller, we who are men of the world, "'that a good uniform must work its way with the woman sooner or later. "'In fact, that's the only thing between you and me "'that makes the service worth entering into.' "'Just so,' said Sam. "'That's it, of course.' "'When this confidential dialogue had gone thus far, "'glasses were placed round, "'and every gentleman ordered what he liked best "'before the public-house shut up. "'The gentleman in blue and the man in orange, "'who were the chief exquisites of the party, "'ordered cold srub and water. "'But with the others gin and water sweet "'appeared to be the favourite beverage. "'Sam called the green grocer a desperate willin, "'and ordered a large bowl of punch, two circumstances which seemed to raise him very much in the opinion of the selections. "'Gentlemen,' said the man, in blue, with an air of the most consummate dandyism, "'I'll give you the ladies. Come.' "'Here, here,' said Sam. "'The young missuses.' Here there was a loud cry of, "'Order!' and Mr. John Smucker, as the gentleman who had introduced Mr. Weller into the company, begged to inform him that the word he had just made use of was, Unparliamentary. Which word was that, dear sir? inquired Sam. Mrs. sir, replied Mr. John Smocker, with the alarming frown. We don't recognize such distinctions here. Oh, very good, said Sam. Then I'll amend the observation and call them the dear creatures, if blazes will allow me. Some doubt appeared to exist in the mind of the gentleman in the green foil smalls, 
whether the chairman could be legally appealed to as blazes. But as the company seemed more disposed to stand upon their own rights than his, the question was not raised. The man with the cocked hat breathed short and looked long at Sam, but apparently thought it as well as to say nothing in the case that he should get the worst of it. After a short silence, a gentleman in an embroidered coat reaching down to his heels and a waistcoat of the same, which kept one half of his legs warm, stirred his gin and water with great energy, and putting himself upon his feet all at once, by a violent effort, said he was desirous of offering a few remarks to the company, whereupon the person in the cocked hat had had no doubt that the company would be very happy to hear any remarks that the man in the long coat might wish to offer. "'I feel a great delicacy, gentlemen, in coming forward,' said the man in the long coat, "'having the misfortune to be a coachman and being only admitted as an honorary member of these agreeable soirees. But I do feel myself bound, gentlemen, drove into a corner, if I may use the expression, to make known an afflicting circumstance which has come to my knowledge, which has happened, I may say, with the soap of everyday contemplation. Gentlemen, our friend, Mr. Whiffers, everybody looked at the individual in orange, our friend, Mr. Whiffers, has resigned. Universal astonishment fell upon the hearers. Each gentleman looked at his neighbor's face, and then transferred his glance to the upstanding coachman. "'You may well be surprised, gentlemen,' said the coachman. "'I will not venture to state the reasons of this irreparable loss to the surface, but I will beg Mr. Whiffers to state them himself, for the improvement and imitation of his admiring friends.' The suggestion being loudly approved of, Mr. Whiffers explained. He said he certainly could have wished to have continued to hold the appointment he had just resigned. The uniform was extremely rich and expensive, the females of the family was most agreeable, and the duties of the situation was not, he was bound to say, too heavy. The principal service that was required of him being that he should look out of the hall window as much as possible, in company with the other gentlemen who had also resigned. He could have wished to have spared that company the painful and disgusting detail on which he was about to enter, but as the explanation had been demanded of him, he had no alternative but to state boldly and distinctly that he had been required to eat cold meat. It is impossible to conceive the disgust which this avowal awakened in the bosoms of the hearers. Loud cries of shame mingled with groans and hisses prevailed for a quarter of an hour. Mr. Whiffers then added that he feared a portion of this outrage might be traced to his own forbearing and accommodating disposition. He had a distinct recollection of having once consented to eat salt butter and he had, moreover, on an occasion of sudden sickness in the house, so far forgotten himself as to carry a coal shuttle up to the second floor. He trusted he had not lowered himself in the good opinion of his friends by this frank confession of his faults, and he hoped the promptness with which he had resented the last unmanly outrage on his feelings, to which he had referred, would reinstate him in their good opinions if he had. 
Mr. Whiffer's address was responded to with a shout of admiration, and the health of the interesting martyr was drunk in a most enthusiastic manner. For this the martyr returned thanks and proposed their visitors Mr. Weller, a gentleman whom he had not had the pleasure of an intimate acquaintance with, but who was the friend of Mr. John Smocker, which was a sufficient letter of recommendation to any society of gentlemen, whatever and wherever. On this account he should have been disposed to have given Mr. Weller's health with all the honours if his friend had been drinking wine, but as they were taking spirits by way of a change, and as it might be inconvenient to empty a tumbler at every toast, he should propose that the honours be understood. At the conclusion of this speech everybody took a sip in honour of Sam, and Sam, having ladled out and drunk two full glasses of punch in honour of himself, returned thanks in a neat speech. "'Very much obliged to you, old fellows,' said Sam, ladling away at the punch in the most unembarrassed manner possible. "'For this here compliment, which, coming from such a quarter, is very overwhelming. I've heard a good deal on you as a body, but I will say I never thought you was such uncommon nice men as I find you air. I only hope you'll take care of yourselves and not compromise nothing, or your dignity, which is a very charming thing to see when one's out walking, and has always made me a very happy to look at ever since I was a boy about half as high as the brass-headed stick of my very respectable friend blazes there. As to the wictim oppression of this suit of brimstone, all I can say of him is that I hope he'll get just as good a berth as he deserves, in which case a very little cold soiree as ever he'll be troubled with again. Here Sam sat down with a pleasant smile, and his speech having been vociferously applauded, the company broke up. "'Why, you don't mean to say you're a goin', old feller,' said Sam to his old friend Mr. John Smucker. "'I must indeed,' said John Smucker. "'I promise Bantam.' "'Oh, very well,' said Sam. "'That's another thing. Perhaps he'd resign if you disappointed him. "'You ain't a goin', Blazes.' "'Yes, I am,' said the man with the cocked hat. "'What, and leave three-quarters a bowl of punch behind you?' said Sam. "'Nonsense! Set down again!' Mr. Tuckle was not proof against this invitation. He laid aside the cocked hat and stick, which he had just taken up, and said he would have one glass for good fellowship's sake. As the gentleman in blue went home, the same way as Mr. Tuckle, he was prevailed upon to stop too. When the punch was about half gone, Sam ordered in some oysters from the greengrocer's shop, and the effect of both was extremely exhilarating, that Mr. Tuckle, dressed out with the cocked hat and stick, danced the frog hornpipe among the shells on the table while the gentleman in blue played an accompanying upon an ingenious musical instrument formed with a hair comb and a curl paper. At last, when the punch was all gone, and the night nearly so, they sallied forth to see each other home. Mr. Tuckle no sooner got into the open air than he was seized with a sudden desire to lie on the curbstone. Sam thought it would be a pity to contradict him, and so let him have his own way. As the cocked hat would have been spoilt if left there, Sam very considerately flattened it down on the head of the gentleman in blue, and, putting the big stick in the hand, propped him up against his own street door, rang the bell, and walked quietly home. 
At a much earlier hour next morning than his usual time of rising, Mr. Pickwick walked downstairs completely dressed and rang the bell. Sam, said Mr. Pickwick, when Mr. Weller appeared, in reply to the summons, shut the door. Mr. Weller did so. There was an unfortunate occurrence here last night, Sam, said Mr. Pickwick, which gave Mr. Winkle some cause to apprehend violence for Mr. Dowler. So I've heard from the old lady downstairs, sir, replied Sam. And I'm sorry to say, Sam, continued Mr. Pickwick, with a most perplexed countenance, that in dread of this violence Mr. Winkle has gone away. Gone away, said Sam, left the house early this morning without the slightest previous communication with me, replied Mr. Pickwick, and is gone I know not where. He should have stopped and fought it out, sir, replied Sam contemptuously. It wouldn't take much to settle that her dowler, sir. Well, Sam, said Mr. Pickwick, I may have my doubts of his great bravery and determination also, but however that may be, Mr. Winkle is gone. He must be found, Sam, found and brought back to me. And suppose he won't come back, sir, said Sam. He must be made, Sam, said Mr. Winkle. Who's to do it, sir, inquired Sam with a little smile. You, replied Mr. Pickwick. Well, be good, sir. With these words Mr. Weller left the room, and immediately afterwards was heard to shut the street door. In two hours' time he returned, with as much coolness as if he had been dispatched on the most ordinary message possible, and brought the information that an individual in every respect answering to Mr. Winkle's description had gone over to Bristol that morning by the branch coach from the Royal Hotel. "'Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick, grasping his hand, "'you're a capital fellow, an invaluable fellow.' "'You must follow him, Sam.' "'Certainly, sir,' replied Mr. Weller. "'The instant you discover him, write to me immediately, Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'If he attempts to run away from you, knock him down or lock him up. "'You have my full authority, Sam.' "'I'll be very careful, sir,' rejoined Sam. "'You'll tell him,' said Mr. Pickwick, "'that I am highly excited, highly displeased, "'and naturally indignant at the very extraordinary course "'he has thought proper to pursue.' "'I will, sir.' replied Sam. "'You'll tell him,' said Mr. Pickwick, "'that if he does not come back to this very house with you, "'he will come back with me, for I will come and fetch him.' "'I'll mention that air, sir,' rejoined Sam. "'You think you can find him, Sam?' said Mr. Pickwick, "'looking earnestly in his face. "'Oh, I'll find him if he's anywhere,' rejoined Sam, with great confidence. "'Very well,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'Then the sooner you go, the better.' With these instructions, Mr. Pickwick placed the sum of money in the hands of his faithful servitor and ordered him to start for Bristol immediately in pursuit of the fugitive. Sam put a few necessaries in a carpet bag and was ready for starting. He stopped when he had got to the end of the passage and, walking quietly back, thrust his head in at the parlor door. Sir, whispered Sam. Well, Sam, said Mr. Pickwick. I fully understand my instructions, do I, sir? inquired Sam. "'I hope so,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'It's a regular understood about the knocking down, is it, sir?' inquired Sam. "'Perfectly,' replied Mr. Pickwick. "'Thoroughly. Do what you think necessary. You have my orders.' Sam gave a nod of intelligence, and, withdrawing his head from the door, set forth on his pilgrimage with a light heart. End of chapter 37